Welcome to Kingdom 101. Great to have all of you back once more. We welcome our listeners on SoundCloud. Good to have you back joining us once again. Uh, let's pray and let's get into this evening's teaching. Father God, we want to ask you to be with us. Lord Jesus, we declare your name once more, that you are the name above all names. We're here because of you. We're here to glorify you and to honor you, to worship you. We pray that even through the declaration of the word, that you will be magnified and glorified. Holy Spirit, come and teach us. Speak to us, Lord, even as you have prepared hearts already. Continue to lead us so that we can respond correctly. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. This week, we're going to continue our journey. And if you have heard our last teaching, um, this is really like a, a second part to it. Of course, we know as we do an expository teaching, it just continues. It goes on and on and on. Let's do a quick recap. Now, you know that Jesus had already appointed the 12 disciples, called them apostles, pushed them out on kingdom assignment. And he says, when you get out there, uh, preach the kingdom of God, right? Don't bring anything with you. Don't worry about anything. Just keep going. Uh, this is what you need to be doing. And then last week, we realized that he gives them a warning. He says, you be careful because I am going to be sending you out as sheep amongst wolves. And last week, I challenged you that he was speaking to disciples, and yet he referred to them as sheep. So if you're a sheep belonging to the shepherd, then you are a disciple that reports to the master. You are both disciple and sheep, in other words, disciple sheep. And I asked you, what is discipleship to you? What is discipleship to you? Is it just a Bible study? Is it just a cell group that you meet every week? Is it just something that you do inside church? And we arrived at the answer, we said no, right? We've got to listen to the Master. We are sent out by the Master, and He sends us out as sheep amongst wolves. So He says, you be careful, because although there are works ahead, there will also be wolves ahead. And I've got to prepare you, beware of these wolves, this is how you've got to approach them. Be as wise as serpents, but be harmless and innocent as doves. And you know it's not wolves, it's men. Beware of men, right? These wolves are really the people that you'll come into contact with. In the last teaching, we looked at four categories, and I unpacked this for you. People in religious institutional types somehow they come against the agenda of the kingdom. And you have to be careful of them, be aware of how they speak, because they will not take the things of the kingdom very well. The second group would be the government. And let's again understand that governments will do the best they can. They have the best intentions, but according to their own agenda. And their own agenda may not be the agenda of the kingdom. If Christians are not towing the line, if Christians do not fall in line, then Christians, you be careful because you may run foul of certain things and certain laws. Then there's the family, right? Father will give up a son, a brother against brother, your own friends even. They may betray you because they have to report you to keep to a certain court, a certain honor, and they report you and they give you up in that sense. There's the world, the society. Jesus says, you'll be hated by all. 
nobody likes that line, right? Did anyone underline that in your Bible? You will be hated by all. And really, Christians are not viewed favorably. Christians are not viewed very kindly. And he says, endure all these things. If you endure to the end, you will be saved. But in certain situations, if you need to, then flee. Now, if you think that you know, it's only for certain groups of people, well, maybe more, maybe less, but really it is expected of all disciples. Jesus himself set the example, and we as his disciples, we are expected to be prepared for any eventuality of all these things happening to us. And we closed on that, but with an assurance, because it goes on and it says, therefore, do not fear them. Do not fear them. After all the warnings, all the cautions, all the be careful, the beware, Jesus closes with one line. And he says, do not fear them. Don't fear these different groups. And this is what he says to us, this teaching. So this week, we'll come to Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 to 31. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. And so this evening, the title is Do Not Fear, because three times Jesus says it, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And if you were a disciple at that point in time, listening to his warning before, I don't know how you would have felt. Today, we may receive it differently, especially we live in this nice sunny island, everything seems to be so wonderful. We are so far removed from all the challenges that we see around the world, and we hear these warnings and we're like, uh, doesn't really apply to us. But imagine if you were one of the disciples listening to what Jesus was saying at that point in time. I believe your heart might be just shaking a little bit. And Jesus says, do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Let's look at some of these points this evening. And the first thing is this. He says, there is no need to fear because at the end, everything will be revealed. Look at this in verse 26. Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. Everything will be revealed. But how does this help me not fear? So what if everything will be revealed? Two things that we can understand from this one phrase. The very first thing is this. Everything about these people, everything about them will be revealed. And I think we can understand that sometimes we don't see as clearly the motives behind some of these people. And they can come to you as very nice, they can say very nice things, they want to give you good things and they will couch it in very positive ways. But we can't understand what is the motive behind it. 
And Jesus is saying, you don't worry about these things, you don't fear them, whatever it is in their hearts, everything, one day it will be revealed. Every thought, every intent, every motive will be revealed. Even if they should be plotting against you or scheming against you, everything about them will be laid bare. It will be opened one day. It will be revealed. Even if they say things in the name of God or in the name of God's, or they say things of a certain conviction, they may declare certain things of their own moral integrity, at least in their own mind. They may come across with good intention. They may say it's for the betterment of society. They may tell you, but it's for harmony. It's for world peace. Everything will be revealed in the end. So you don't worry, all right? You live how you should be living. You say what you should be saying. Don't worry about them. Everything about them will be revealed. So this is the first thing where we can see. Everything about them will be revealed. At the same time, everything about you will also be revealed. Both ways. It cuts both ways. And if you look at a parallel passage in Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, Jesus also is recorded using almost the same words. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, he gives this description, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. And so we have the same notion. Everything about these people will be revealed, right? Their hypocrisy, their deception, their well-meaningness, but actually they don't really mean anything like that. You don't worry about that. Everything will be revealed. But look at verse 3. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Now, that's a little bit different from what we read in Matthew, isn't it? In Matthew, it says, whatever I tell you, now you proclaim and you declare. But this one that says, everything will be revealed. Whatever you say in the dark, it's going to be revealed. Whatever you try to keep secret and not let anybody know, it's going to be uncovered totally. In other words, they will track you. They will look out for you. They will hear what they want to hear from you. And they will pick out the things about you. Remember in the last teaching, I was sharing something here with you that today, in those days, it may be even harder. They they may eavesdrop and they can, you know, send out spies to pick things out. But today, there's this thing called the digital footprint. And if you are connected digitally via the internet or any device through Wi-Fi and all, everything that you are doing and keying in, everything can be tracked. Do you know that? In case you didn't know that, I'm just telling you. And this is an open secret. This is not hidden at all. And so I can declare this to let you know in case you're not aware about this at this point in time. Not only that, remember I shared with you this picture about cameras and how they are able to track certain things. And in China, we spoke about the social credit system. It's interesting. I like how the Lord always uh, opens my eyes to things. And when I shared this picture with you, the very next day I saw this in town. We have our very own camera systems. I won't tell you where this is found, okay? But if you keep your eyes looking up rather than looking down at your phone, you will find some of these things all over the place. 
and it's for monitoring. It's just to make sure that they are able to track certain things so that they can keep law and order. And then the next night, just last week only, I was speaking in a fellowship. When I walked in, I saw this flyer. And this flyer, this little brochure, talks about the 666 surveillance system. And when I open up the brochure, look at what I saw, this picture of more tracking systems. And this brochure gives a little bit more detail of how your digital or our digital footprint is all over the place. Whatever you speak in the dark will be known. Whatever you whisper will be tracked. They are even suspecting that your phone is recording you without you knowing. This is out there in the internet, and we have to track whether is it fake news or is it not. It's funny, right? People have reported that when they talk about a certain thing, say, uh, for example, they talk about London or England, especially now where the World Cup is on, and suddenly you know the next day an ad about how to fly to London appears on your phone. So these are your digital footprints. And just two days ago, as I was preparing the slides for this message, I saw this news report in our local newspaper that cameras are being deployed across the island to detect illegal smoking. Everything will be revealed. Everything will be known. Nothing will be hidden. Isn't it funny? Words spoken, the Bible written 2,000 years ago. When you read it today with fresh lenses, things are uncovered even more. Everything will be revealed, therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. And since everything is going to be revealed, that means there's no need to keep anything hidden. And my dear friends, in the first place, you and I have nothing to hide. We should not be afraid that we believe in Jesus, that we believe in a gospel that saves, that we have a good news. So keep declaring, keep proclaiming, keep living the way that we are supposed to be living. Keep preaching and living the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus then says, look, if everything is going to be revealed, then whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. Whatever you hear in the ear, preach it on the housetops. Of course, today we cannot stand on housetops to declare, but in those days, they had flat rooftops, not very high, but they stand on it and whatever they say, people are able to hear, they can proclaim and they declare these things. But if we take these phrases and we ask ourselves, how can we apply these thoughts to ourselves? Then what this can really mean for us is that the personal instructions that we hear from the Lord, right? What He says to us. It doesn't remain personal or private anymore. It can be public influence or action. And these are kingdom assignments. Whatever God gives to you to do, go out there and do it. Be wise as serpents, be harmless as doves. Whatever He says to you, go speak it. What you receive in your quiet time, in your time with the Lord, if He's saying something to you, He whispers something into your ear, then be bold. You know, if it's to speak to one person, five persons, ten persons, then you do what needs to be done. In the first place, everything is going to be revealed. Nothing is going to be hidden. In other words, you don't have to hide anything. You might as well reveal it. You might as well go out there and talk about things. Whatever you learn in your cell group, go out there, share with others. Whatever you learn in a Bible study, go out there, live it out. Whatever you're receiving, even in Kingdom 101, make sure it becomes practical. 
Whatever you have received in the Lord, say to our keepers, take heed to the ministry which you have received that you may fulfill it. In the meantime, be wise as serpents, be harmless as doves. Everything will be revealed. Everything about them and everything about us. And so do not fear the consequences. Everything is going to be revealed. And if everything is going to be revealed about them, then you can trust God that justice will be served. And this is talking about a final day. Jesus is telling His disciples and telling all of us, in the meantime, as you are navigating all these uncertainties and concerns and anxieties, you have got to know that right at the end, one day, everything will be revealed. Everything will be open. The books will reveal everything. And God, who is the judge, will judge accurately and judge righteously. For there is no partiality with God. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men, everything, whatever is in your heart, whatever is in their hearts, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. We've got to get this one correct. Within that gospel, there will be a judgment. And people don't like to talk about judgment today. But there will be a judgment right at the end. Everything will be revealed. And so if they are coming against us, it will be revealed. Their deception, their hypocrisy, the everything will be revealed and God will judge. Let me give you another verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of their hearts. Can you see, Paul is also telling us, you just live the way you live. You do what needs to be done. You be faithful, you be obedient, and allow God to deal with everyone else. And these are the words of Jesus. He's saying, don't worry about them. Do not fear them. They can come against you. They can come with all kinds of crazy motives. You may appear to be treated unjustly, wrongly, but in the end, everything is going to be revealed. And the crazy thing is this, but I, I say it's crazy, but actually it's quite cool. Do you know that the saints will assist in the judgment? That's what the Bible says, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Wow, how cool is that? The saints will judge the world. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Now, don't, don't miss this. Paul is really trying to tell the church, right at the end, you're going to partake in this. You're going to have a place in this. You're going to have this honor. You're going to have this privilege. But that is not for everyone. If you don't begin to exercise who you are right now and live correctly, that you are able to evaluate and judge things correctly amongst ourselves. And so it's premised upon our faithfulness. It's premised upon our obedience to live correctly by Jesus Christ. And I believe at the right time, when we are raised once more to be with the Lord, and when we are found worthy and qualified to rule and reign with Christ, then we have a place to be sharing in the judgment 
with our God who is the righteous judge. So point number one, if you're getting this, everything is going to be revealed. We're going to know everything about them. Well, in the first place, they're going to find out everything about us. So, you know, there's nothing else to hide. We might as well just live as boldly as you want, as wisely as serpents, and as be as harmless, be as innocent, do as best as we can. Because in the end, God will judge every intention, and God will bring justice, and it will be served righteously by God. Jesus then goes on. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So the Lord is telling his disciples and telling us, beware of these guys. Be wary of these guys. Be careful, be prepared for those eventualities, but you don't have to fear them. It's very different. Right? To be aware of these people doesn't mean that we have to fear these people. And he goes right to the extreme. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> only physical harm or death, what? I mean, that's the only, the, the most, the final eventuality that if anyone should be concerned, that we might lose a part of our body or we might lose our lives. But here then we have to remember who we are in Christ, that as we came into Christ, we remember and we must be confident and know that we have already died with Christ. We are already dead with Christ in that before we are raised to a new, new life in Christ. And so our old life has already passed on. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. For you died. And so your life now is hidden with Christ in God. We've already died. And this life we live, we live by faith. And Jesus says, even if you die, if you, if you believe me, though you die, you live. So we don't have to worry about this physical death because we who believe, we have eternal life. So Jesus says, you, you've got to know this. Physical death should not scare us at all. It should not be a threat at all. Let's look at what happens between the body and the soul. We know that the body is temporary. This physical tent, this earthly tent that we live in. One day, if Jesus does not come before that, we will all die physically. The body is temporary. But the soul is eternal. And at death, both the body and the soul are separated. The body is temporary, but the soul is eternal. And then there's a promise. There's a promise of the resurrection. That at the time of the resurrection, when everything comes to a close, there will be a resurrection of the dead. The physical body will now be raised into a spiritual body. We will receive a spiritual body, and that's where the body and the soul will come back together once more. And that's what we believe, and that's what we have to stand by and live by and be convinced about. If we are not convinced about this, then of course, nobody wants to die prematurely. Isn't that so? So because we understand this, that there is a resurrection. Paul even had to address this for the church in Corinth. He says, if there's no resurrection, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. 
if our hope is only for this life, and then if they kill us, it's gone, or if we lose this life and we die and it's over, then this kind of hope is no hope. It just ends. But because there is a resurrection and Jesus being the first fruit of that resurrection, and we who believe will also be raised with Him. Paul was able to say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 30 to 32. Why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of man I have fought with beasts in Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. See, Paul's faith and his belief is very, very precise. There will be a resurrection. Otherwise, why am I willing to withstand all this jeopardy, all the danger, all the trouble, just to preach to you guys? I get whacked, I get stoned, I get thrown into the animals, I get shipwrecked. Why? Because if I die, it's okay. Because there will be a resurrection. But if there's no resurrection, then as we tell one another, let's eat, drink and be merry. Because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But because there's a resurrection, we can live with confidence And there's hope when finally, when Jesus comes, we will be raised once more. But don't fear this man. Because men can destroy the body, they cannot destroy the soul. But fear God. Fear God, because God can destroy both the body as well as the soul. Now, when you read that line, it's a bit hard to accept, right? You can't think of God as destroying anything He has created, isn't it? It's so funny. Like, well, you mean what? God will destroy a soul? Well, if you look at James chapter 4, verse 12, there it says again, there's one lawgiver. Remember, just now we said that God will come and judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Consistent. He can save And He can destroy. The Lord is saying to us, don't fear those who can only kill physically. Instead, fear the one who can destroy the soul. That's the more important way. Then we ask this question for ourselves. What does it mean then to destroy? Well, I've already told you, the soul is eternal. And you and I, we believe, if we believe in Jesus, then we have eternal life. And one day it hit me very clearly. If there's eternal life, do you know that there's the opposite? There's eternal death. If there's eternal life, then there is eternal death. Now that wasn't a very nice thought for me to harbor because I don't mind living and living and living, but I don't want to die and die and die and die. You know, you keep dying. It's like, want to die, cannot die. That's not a nice thought at all. In Hokkien, we say, I see, boy, see. It's, It's terrible, right? But if there's eternal life, there is eternal death. And so, destroy, in the Bible, if you look at other passages, it doesn't mean that it ends. It doesn't mean to annihilate. That God doesn't just snuff out this soul and it's over. No. It refers to an eternal torment. There's an eternal death and it's an eternal punishment that goes on. 
Now, some people look at it and say, wow, cannot learn. How can God be such a sadist, you know? How can God look at you and purposely want to torture you forever? But it's not God wanting to torture you forever. It's because of the nature of the soul that is eternal that the soul continues on and therefore the punishment continues on. That's why we have a choice. Do we want to live eternally or do we want to die eternally? I'll give you one verse in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, and we've already covered this in our earlier teachings. John the Baptist, when he was prophesying and declaring about Jesus, he made this declaration. His winnowing fan is in his hand, talking about Jesus. He will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And so we have these two words, unquenchable fire. Unquenchable, the fire goes on. For what reason? Because something is eternal. The fire burns on forever. There's another phrase which we hear Jesus talking about or using quite often. He says there will be people who will be cast out, people who will be shut out, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You notice it's continuous tense. It just goes on and it doesn't end because it's eternal. And this is how serious it is. And that's why he's saying, don't fear those who can, who can just kill the body. I mean, the body's gone, the body's gone. You're going to have a resurrected body. But you fear Him, the one who can destroy the soul. Now, where does this happen? The destruction of the soul happens in this place, in this four-letter word called hell. Again, nobody likes to preach about hell these days. I haven't heard a message about hell for a very long time. Well, let me give you a background. The word is Gehenna, the Hebrew term. And so the Greek term is just transliterated. In English, we call it hell. But it refers to a physical place, the Valley of Hinnom. And it's a real place in Israel. But back in the Old Testament... It became the center of idolatrous worship. This is just on the south side of Jerusalem. Children were burned by fire as an offering to this god called Molech. You can read about it in the Old Testament. You search it, you'll find it. And by the time it came to King Josiah, it became a place of abomination. Just so many people were burned down there, dead down there. They would throw the bones of dead men and it was filthy, filthy. And so across the centuries and across the different times, it became a designated garbage and a rubbish area. And they would throw their garbage there and they would burn the things down there. It's like an incinerator. Today, you don't see it because they hide it somewhere, either in some island or some landfill place. We don't see it anymore. But for themselves there, they would burn their rubbish over there. Continually, you will see a fire burning. And so when they referred to this place called the Valley of Hinnom or Gehenna, this became a symbol. It became a metaphor of an unending fires of hell and torment. It became a symbol of judgment. So when Jesus used this one word and he alluded to this metaphor, it's very clear to the people listening to this. He was talking about an eternal punishment because there would be a continual burning 
It was stinky. It was smelly and rotting flesh, worms, infestations, and so on. You know, it's that kind of a place that is there. Worms eating at the bodies, fire burning at the same time. And if you don't like to preach about hell, you've got to read how many times Jesus actually mentions it. In the Gospels, he mentions a total of, at least this word, 11 times. In the book of Matthew alone, seven times. We'll come across this word over and over again. He uses another phrase, and he calls it the furnace of fire. Matthew chapter 13, we'll get there one day. Matthew chapter 25, he refers to it with two more words, everlasting fire. Jesus is saying, look, come on guys, if you want to fear, fear the one who can destroy the soul in hell. Don't worry about the guys. All they can do is whack you and kill you and it's over, it's done. But if you're talking about eternity, you want to live on the right side of eternity. You want to make the right decision to be faithful to a God who is able to destroy the soul in hell. And if you understand hell correctly, please don't get the wrong idea, okay? Satan is not in charge of hell. You see, many times we look at cartoons huh, and we think when people go to hell, huh, they have to report to this guy called Satan. There's a devil down there. And then he's like the headmaster. It's like, ha, 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 ha. You're coming down now. I get to torture you. Satan is not in charge of hell. He doesn't get the privilege to be bullying anyone else in hell. Satan is not the head guy there. God is in charge of everything. God is supreme. Don't get the wrong idea. Okay, Don't get the idea that God rules heaven and Satan rules hell. That's a wrong understanding. God is in charge everywhere. So don't fear men. Fear God. As we look at this study and as we come to this understanding, I suppose a question will be burning, sorry the pun, but a question will be burning in our hearts, sorry, in our heads. Is this applicable to believers? Since we have eternal life, isn't it? If we believe in Jesus and we are proclaimed righteous before Him, then do we need to even worry about a teaching like this? Why don't we not talk about hell anymore? Because it does not apply to us anymore. We all have eternal life. Well, let's look at the context. Firstly, Jesus spoke these words to disciples. Once again, so my question is, why warn the disciples if there's no need to heed the warning? Would that be a good question for you to consider? Right? Why give a warning if there's no possibility of us being destroyed by Him? I know that's hard for some of us to accept that. But let's look a little bit earlier back to the Sermon on the Mount, which we have spent a lot of time on. Jesus, once again, teaching who? His disciples. People who believe in Him, people who follow Him. He teaches them about destruction and about rejection. The broad way leads to what? Destruction. I hope you're clearer what destruction is right now, right? The destroying of something doesn't mean it ends. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And now, if Jesus rejects, do you think these guys would be in some other place other than where he's going to be? Finally, he closes the end of the entire sermon on the mount. He says, those who are hearing, but they're not doing, you know, when the rains came and the, the floods came, the winds came, the, the house that they were building, they had no foundation. 
there was a big disaster, great was its fall. It was destroyed. There was a destruction. Now, was this warning for disciples and believers? Yes, it was. And so, do you think we should take heed and pay heed to this warning? I believe so. I believe so. Because in the very next verses, which we'll cover in the next teaching, he's really saying, confess your faith in Jesus Christ. Stand up for Jesus Christ. No, don't, don't back down. Be obedient. Be faithful. Live as you should. Because if you don't, if you do not confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. Those are very, very strong words. I pray we never come to have to come to a point where, you know, we deny Jesus. But we've got to make a decision today. We've got to make a point to live correctly that we can be trained and be enduring when the time comes if we should so be tested. It's understandable that we do fear men sometimes, don't we? Right? It can be quite scary. There can be anxiety. There can be some concern. It's understandable to have the fear of men. But I want to encourage us to consider this, that our fear of God must be greater than our fear of men. And in Hebrews, it says this, our God is a consuming fire. And today, I don't want you to leave this teaching or listen to this and, and go away, not only worry about the men, but worried about also the torment of hellfire because our focus should not be on hellfire. Our focus should be on God who is the consuming fire. Two different things. Alright, stop thinking of hell. I'd rather you think of God. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. Thank God for His grace. Let us have grace. There is grace. But if the grace is received, it is by this grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We serve Him but out of a godly, reverent, healthy fear of God because He is a consuming fire. Commentators have written it this way, it has been said that the saints of old feared so little because they feared God so much. Isn't that a beautiful line? The saints of old feared so little because they feared God so much. I like this writer, this commentator called Warren Wiersbe. And he says, The fear of God is the fear that cancels fear. How lovely is that? The fear of God is the fear that cancels fear. So should we have fear? Yes. But have the right fear. Fear the right person. If we have the right fear of God, we don't have to fear men, nor the torment of hell. See, today we, again, do not talk about fear very much. We don't like the word fear. In fact, we fear the word fear. But if we fear God correctly, I say again, we don't have to fear men, and we don't have to fear the torment of hell. I read to you in 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 to 19. It says there that we can have boldness in the day of judgment. Listen, huh? we can have boldness in the day of judgment because perfect love casts out fear. The perfect love casts out this fear of the torment of hell. 
and say, oh, but that's, that's perfect love. What? You're not talking about fear. Friends, do you realize that if you fear God, it also means that you love God. And if you love God, it also means that you obey Him no matter what the outcome is. Fear and love go together. Fear and love must be held in a healthy tension. And we are willing to go through anything because we reverence our God and we love our God. I must challenge us to think a little bit more deeply about the fear of the Lord. Isn't it true that today we hear very little about the fear of God? Today also there's very little reverence and awe for God these days. God is portrayed like a nice big teddy bear that grants all your wishes. Like a genie in a bottle, you know, you just rub the bottle and three wishes and then poof, you get it. God is always nice. Even today, we use this word awesome to describe anything and everything, right? Oh, how awesome, you know. Wow, today was a, what's such an awesome day. Uh, waffles was really awesome. Uh, ice cream was really awesome, you know. And so God is lumped with all these nice things and cute things, so awesome. But we forget that God is still God. Do you know Jesus? In Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, this prophecy was about Him. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Did Jesus have the fear of the Lord? Yes, He did. And it was because of this godly fear that He had that he submitted to the will of the Father. Did he love the Father? Yes, he did. Did he fear his God? Yes, he did. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit is also to have the fear of the Lord. And we must have this godly fear. And this godly fear must be what will keep us and will be what will move us to do the things that we need to do. That we will not fear men, but we will fear God, we love Him, and we want to please Him. Finally, we read the last couple of verses. Are you not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. I've loved the picture of these sparrows that I found. So sweet, so cute, so gentle. And Jesus used these sparrows. They were a common marketplace commodity. He says you can buy these two sparrows for a copper coin. And a copper coin would be about 132, that fraction, 1 over 32. That's how small it is. Of a minimum daily wage, one denarius would be a one day's pay. 132, if you imagine your day and you divide it, your work day, number of hours that you work, divided by 32, you get about 15 to 20 minutes of work. How much are you paid for that? Very little. Very, very, very little. And you can buy these two sparrows for one copper coin. In Luke chapter 12, verse 6, he uses the same illustration, but he gives a different value. He says you can buy... In Matthew, he says you can buy one coin, buy two sparrows. In Luke, he says you can buy five sparrows with two coins. Wow, good deal, huh? 
One coin, two sparrows. Two coins should be four sparrows, which means the fifth sparrow, free. Throw it in for good measure. But don't miss the significance of that. And yet he says, you are of greater value. If God can value even that one sparrow that's given away free, that means worth nothing. And you can add all these sparrows up together and all. Do you know you are worth so much more than all these sparrows? If God values His creation so much, you are worth so much more. Now, this is not the first time Jesus was making a reference to birds. In the teaching talking about, uh, about money and worrying about all these things. He says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And Jesus wants to make this point so clear to His disciples, to all of us, that it's not that you are uh, dispensable you know, or expendable, or that God wants to kill you off. That's not the point. Um, you are precious. You are of great value. And this, the, in the original text, the word value comes from a root word that means to be different or be, to be distinguished. To be different or to be distinguished. In other words, if you are compared to these sparrows, there's no comparison at all. Your value greatly surpasses that of these sparrows. And if, if your father knows them and cares for them and feeds them and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from his will, how much more are you of great value to them? And this is an assurance to say, do not fear those men, fear God, but at the same time know that He is watching, watching over you. And don't miss that drastic switch. Suddenly, from a God that destroys the soul, He switches to this word, your Father. I love this contrast that Jesus put inside there. Almost subtly, if you, if you read it too quickly, you can miss this. From a God that destroys the soul, fear Him with reverence and with awe. He says, this is your Father. Nothing will happen apart from your Father's will. This is your Father. He knows you. He loves you. He watches over you. The sparrows, none of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father's will. And so even if, if we should lose our lives, even if anything should happen to us, Will you be convinced right now, if anything should happen, at that time it happens, it's the right time. At the time that anything should happen to us, it's always the right time. You know, sometimes we are guilty of, when we look at someone who might be a little bit too young, we say, ah, oh, you're so young, so wasted, huh? He died before his time. But if we hold this truth and we believe this, it was not before his time. The Father knows exactly the right time. And we do not need to fear a premature death. An interesting thing, again, if you study this, um, if you look in the original text, there's no word that translates will. It's actually put there for an understanding. You know, not, none of these, not one of these sparrows will fall to the ground apart from your Father. And then there's no word after that, you know. So the translators put in this word from the Father's will. But you could also put in the word knowledge. Nothing happens without the Father's knowledge. In other words, your Father knows everything. 
everything. Why? Where do I get this context? If you look at the next verse, it says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. In other words, he knows how many hairs you have. Do you know how much hair you have? Do you know how many strands of hair you have? No. But God knows every detail. He, he knows the stars in the skies, right? He names every one of them. He knows every cell that is in your body. But since we're talking about hair, I did a quick Google search, and I'm told that each of us would have about 100 strands of hair. And every day, we don't want to hear this, but every day we lose about 50 to 100. I calculated that would be, if it's 50, it's like 18,000 strands of hair a year. If it's 100, it's like 36,000 strands of hair a day. But God knows every strand. You want to be consistent? He knows every bird or every sparrow that falls to the ground, which means He also knows every hair that drops on the floor. And every time you wash your hair, if there's a clump that comes up, He knows how many. He knows everything. He knows every, every detail. And so nothing is too small, nothing is too insignificant for our Father. And I know it's very nice to apply this to our little requests, you know. Is it, you know nothing is too small. So I pray for a car park, Lord. Anyone pray that? I pray that sometimes. Yeah? I pray for a car park, Lord. Oh, Lord, you know, give me a good deal at the sale so I can save $2, you know. You know we, we pray for the small little things. Oh, I got a table in a crowded restaurant, you know. Well, praise God, you know, these small little things. Oh, I got upgraded to, to do this or to do that. Nice. I mean, you can extend this thought, but I don't think this is what Jesus was really talking about. If we look at that one line, a sparrow that falls to the ground. If it says, don't worry about the guy who's going to whack you dead, that you are going to fall to the ground, then I think in the context, we can be assured that our Heavenly Father knows every saint and when every disciple, when he or she falls to the ground, dies for the sake of Jesus, our Father is aware and our Father is ready to receive this person. We've got to understand this in context. Otherwise, we, we look at this sparrow thing uh, and we, we romanticize it, isn't it? Uh? And we make it sound very nice. Yeah, it's not for this life only. It's for when we die. The Father knows. Our God knows. He knows not just every detail about us or when we will die or when, but He also knows every small bit of injustice done against His people and against His children. Nothing of that will go unnoticed. Our Father and our Judge will be righteous. He will vindicate because in the end, everything will be revealed. Nothing will be hidden. Everything will be displayed. And my God is a just God. So do not fear. Do not fear. So Jesus assures His disciples, and I, I want to use His words to assure you and also assure myself, not to be afraid of anything. Yes, we are to beware. Be wary of men. Be careful. Be wise. Be shrewd. Be prudent. Jesus didn't say be stupid and run straight into trouble. That's not what He said. He said be wise. But at the same time, be as innocent, be as harmless, be as pure, be as unmixed as doves. But do not fear these men. Move on your kingdom assignments, but be prepared for opposition. 
But as you go out, hold these two thoughts in mind. These are the two things that would keep us on track. One, have the reverence of the fear of the Lord. Two, have the assurance of the love of the Father. Don't miss these two things. On the one extreme, the fear of the Lord, again, is like so opposing to the love of God. But no, you've got to hold these two things together. The reverence of the fear of the Lord will keep you going for what God wants you to be doing. And if you fear God more than you fear men, then you will keep doing what He asks you to do. And you will go wherever He sends you. But yet on the other end, you hang on to the love of the Father because He assures you, He watches over you. He knows everything in His sovereignty, in His perfect will, in His perfect time. If it's time to go, it's time to go. And if we will just live faithfully and be obedient, let these two things assure us. Let these two things give us the shalom and the peace of God, the reverence of the fear of the Lord and the assurance of the love of the Father. And so whether we live or we die for Jesus, I say to all of us, do not fear. Do not fear. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for these words of Jesus. Lord, you send us into places. You give us things to do. And you demand our total allegiance to you, O Lord. But you do not leave us alone. You assure us time and again that you will never forsake us. You will never leave us. You will be with us. And even in the physical, there may be things happening to us that we may not really like about these things. But Lord, you assure us that ours is not to look at only this life, but we have a life that is awaiting us at the end of the age. And so continue to assure us, Lord. Remove all fear that is unhealthy. Place within us by your Holy Spirit a healthy fear of the Lord and assure us by your love that you look after us, you love us, and nothing will happen apart from your will and nothing will happen to us apart from your knowledge. That in the end, O Lord, everyone, everything will be judged. And we pray, O Lord, that you will judge us righteous by Jesus Christ. And we bless you. We thank you, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.